A continuous bombardment of excitement is set for Fall Brawl with two title matches and two main events. Two men, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, have carried each other through many battles. In this conflict, they will be on opposite sides of the firing line. Verbal assaults have battered and bruised their relationship. The lines have been drawn. They will meet in hand-to-hand -hand combat in the match you always wanted to see, but never thought you would in this fall brawl. The war zone will be lowered. The perimeter is permanent. Escape is impossible when WCW World Champion Hulk Hogan and his maniacs, Randy Macho Man Savage, Sting, and the new recruit Lex Luger, who's returned from behind enemy lines, will be sent to the front to battle the members of the Dungeon of Doom. The Taskmaster commands Ming, the face of terror, Zodiac, yes, no, Kamala, the Ugandan warrior, and Shark to attack at will in the ultimate fighting arena at Fall Brawl in the War Games. You are looking at a capacity crowd as World Championship Wrestling, where the big boys play, presents its annual Fall Spectacular Fall Brawl from Asheville, North Carolina. Again, and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are. It is November already. What do you have from the world of professional wrestling? It's crazy, man. Stuff going on and on about Ronda Rousey. Triple H come out and said that she is very interested in our business. Always has been a huge fan. That is why she is nicknamed Rowdy Ronda Rousey. He says that. I think she's interested in the opportunity. I'm interested in offering her the opportunity, so we need to do some serious talking. I think you're going to see Ronda Rousey show up at Survivor Series to do a challenge and a build-up to lead into WrestleMania. Yeah, she was... I mean, they've been looking to bring her in for a couple of years now. Well, and the fact is, now that she's... You know, it's come out... Triple H is acknowledging it now, finally. So that goes to show you that... There's some real truth in it. Her last UFC fight was December 31st, the last year, New Year's Eve. I, I sort of think she's retired. I mean, yeah. I think we would have had a return, at least a return announced by now if she was going to come back. Rumors also, Conor McGregor, I don't see that happening. At least for a few more years at the most. Not after the money he just made. He's uh, he's not going to show won't up see, anytime soon. Yeah, you won't see him anytime soon that's not to say that you can't take a few years off and come back because last night uh george st pierre came back and won the middleweight title after taking three or four years off i mean yeah so that's not to say that you can't just take a long time off and come back because you can but uh ronda had two very bad defeats her last you know it wasn't like gsp where he he left on a win he left on a winning streak yeah and uh you know she was beaten very badly in her last two fights so i'm not sure that she wants to come back when you when you're in ring ring shape 
nobody is really can stay in ring shape in USC or in you know other MMA sports but pro wrestling when you're in ring shape and you're in there training in a ring every single day and you're out there performing every single day uh, I think that's going to be the best thing in the world for Ronda and could quite possibly lead her back into after a run in WWE do a multi back and forth deal and she have another run in UFC well, there's probably no better exercise than to be in the uh, pro wrestling ring. I mean, that's what I'm saying. There, there's nothing. There's a difference about being in shape for a fight, whether it's boxing, UFC, whatever, and being in ring shape. In ring shape, there's nothing like it except for wrestling, because you you're you're on the road, you're on the clock, you're punching in and punching out every single day. Where in boxing or in UFC, you're training. But you don't really punch that clock to go into the ring until it's time and there it is. You got to go, and it's that one time thing, and it's that one that one hour long, you know, fight has been built by a year's worth of training. When you're in WWE and you're clocking in, clocking out every single day, on top of training. You're going to have a much better advantage, I would think, going into into a fight in UFC or in boxing as well as still doing pro wrestling on the side. Yeah, in addition to a training camp, being in the wrestling ring is going to... It's only going to make your endurance, your uh, uh, your cardio is going to be way improved from yeah. from being in a pro wrestling ring. And and I think that's one of the things with uh, with Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley still doing back and forth. He's always uh, maintained his uh, MMA brand, though, because he's really never had a bad loss. I mean, right. he has lost, but he's been very selective about how he takes fights. And, uh, you know, Bellator uses him very wisely and just brings him in to make, you know, to make a little bit of money and then to go. I mean, it's never about... he. I think Bobby Lashley understands that, you know, he's not going to be the heavyweight champion in mixed martial arts, so he can right. just go in and make, make a payday or whatever. So he's he's effectively, he's almost created a template for future pro wrestlers that you want to be a pro wrestler, number one, and then a fighter, secondary, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's done a great job of that. Now, I don't think we'll get any Survivor Series movement with Ronda because uh, the Survivor Series is only two weeks out. We're only two weeks out now from Survivor Series, and they're going to promote that. They're going to tease that in in Raw. They're gonna that's going to be a four week yeah. build. That's not going to be a two week build. So, well, I think it'll be. Uh, I feel like she's going to have a a somewhat of a stare down or something at Survivor Series to set up a a build per se for WrestleMania. Well, then who's her opponent going to be? I mean, Charlotte. It's not going to be a singles match. Either that or Stephanie comes out and she does a deal with Stephanie. Stephanie did appear on TV last week, so you might be on to something. She came back to threaten Kurt Angle uh, to be fired, that he needs to get his Raw team together. But I don't know that that means anything for... I really took it as just a one-off appearance, but maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they'll bring her in more, maybe after Survivor Series. I definitely see maybe... Royal Rumbles when you announce something with Ronda, but you you need a, a long build, yeah, uh, to generate interest from the public and to let her go and do media rounds to all the shows that you can't get on with your talent, like the Tonight Show or wherever anywhere anywhere that John Cena you know 
can get on to, basically. That all of your other talent can't. Uh, you need Ronda Rousey to go and promote that. You need the general public to be interested. And then also, as, as I mentioned last week, you need to raise your rates for the network at the same time. Right. You had mentioned uh, firing Kurt Angle. Rumors are that Nikki Bella will could and quite possibly be taking Kurt Angle's place as Raw GM. Now, this is coming off of the heels of Nikki Bella getting axed on Dancing with the Stars Terrible. Monday night. The biggest tragedy in all of pro wrestling. Terrible. This was worse in Montreal. And so, uh, however, though, um, there's controversy in that happening as well. For the first time ever, they did a, uh, a double elimination on Dancing with the Stars. And rumor is it's because John was not too happy with the way Nikki and her trainer had been flirting back and forth with each other. And so things were getting a little bit heated, little kind of tempers. Nikki wasn't the easiest person to get along with backstage anyway. So it was just, hey, we need to go ahead and cut ties. And they went ahead and sent her packing. Now, I don't know if that... There's probably no truth to that whatsoever. That is strictly speculation. That is strictly hearsay. No, I don't see her coming back in that capacity. Though they did release a few weeks ago, there was a leak about how much each women's wrestler makes or whatever. And she is by far the most paid female wrestler in the company. And, I mean, you can, you know, assume how she got that much money as you want to. Uh, I don't think it was based on in-ring ability, but she is an important part of their I think brand I, because... I, but I think once she hooked up with Cena is when it took her to a whole nother level. Well, I mean, the whole the whole Total Divas brand, I mean, they weren't going to do the show without the Bella Twins. So that's how important they are to them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, when you're paying someone that much, I mean, the figure that I saw was half a million dollars a year. If you're paying someone that much... You're going to want more than to just show up uh, for Total Divas and then show up for Dancing with the Stars. Her role as a GM, I'm not sure, would play very well, but I'm not a big fan of authority figures in general on the shows. Like, I feel like it's a, You're not it's a crutch in general. Like, it's just been leaned upon too long and too much, especially the heel uh, general manager, which, and even I- though Nikki Bella was a face, I guess, when she left, but uh, heel GMs, I just get kind of tired of i think what they've got going on with kurt right now is really it's spot on where they need it to be with what's going on with uh daniel bryan i feel like it's lacking so yeah well i mean uh, but shane is the main is the main authority figure right and so i just feel like there's more to it than um i don't know i feel like there's possibly there's possibly a niche for for Kurt to be a full-time a wrestler in-ring wrestler one more run possibly but if that happens then yeah they'll have to have somebody like Nikki be GM I just I don't think Nikki would be a good asset in that role no I don't, I don't either but like I say I just in general authority figures since the attitude era really don't do anything for me right uh, it's just too easily relied upon but I think that I don't think that she's done as a wrestler though, so I think that she'll be back eventually. Oh uh, yeah, I think Bree will be back eventually. Uh, I have more doubts about that one, but actually, I have a lot of doubts about both of them. I mean, the last the season finale of uh, Total Bellas was talking about 
how much that Nikki's neck was hurting in that WrestleMania match. So, unless that was all kayfabe, I, I'm not sure she's coming back either, really. Like I said about Paige and stuff, though, I'm not sure there's a place for them on the roster anyway. So, uh, what, what else is happening? Emma got released due to backstage heat with the writers. She, uh, she had some problems with them ever since the Emelina stuff. And so, you know, we came back on air live last after last week's show. Uh, we had packed up, ready to go, and I found out last minute, hey, WWE's putting people on the, uh, the, the chopping block, and they're axing them. And so we, we went back on air. and Yeah, well, Darren Young and Summer Rae weren't exactly surprises, but Emma to be in title matches on Sunday and on Monday before getting cut on the following Sunday is pretty crazy, especially yeah. when... If you know that you're going to cut her, uh, why would you let her go 50-50 with Asuka or whatever? Why not just have her lose immediately? But they tried to rebrand Emma in, in December or whatever. I think it was in December of last year. It was a long time ago now. The Man, em- that Emelina run, that thing... Well, the promos ran longer than the actual reveal. Well, yeah, the reveal was two, 20, 30 seconds. Yeah, and... uh, Now you've seen Emelina, here comes Emma back. And you're like, well, what the... I I don't want Emma back, I want Emelina. Her frustration with the riders, I mean, there's so many people on this roster they don't know what to do with. It's kind of Alicia Fox. Like, I mean, what does she do? What is is Alicia Fox? Like, there's... Why has she been on this roster for... like 10 years now. I mean, it's just insane to think about, like... You'll make room for, for people like that. But for someone who was talented and was work ethic ability as Emma, you'll axe her, but keep Alicia. I, that doesn't. It makes you wonder who's really pulling the punches here, because that that I don't see any positive in that. I really don't. I mean, that's really a shocker that I've been racking my brain about all week since we went off the air. Yeah, I don't think she's in the top tier of the women's uh, performers, but she's probably she's pretty high second up there. tier. I mean, yeah. I I think she would have done better had she been on SmackDown, where there's not as many uh, competitors. Yeah, and also her character did need some work because, honestly, I mean, what was Emma's character exactly? We don't know. I mean, we'll never know exactly. Uh, the Emmalina thing was at least a. a the Emelina character was at least an idea because she had no character outside. When she was dancing with Santino and then to Emma, there was no real explanation of what what the character was about. What what was her motivation? What does she do that's different than someone else? You know, right? And that's what that's what I don't understand is is I would have put her up there with with the likes of Shasha Banks and and Bailey. And so I really thought she was, I mean, that was a real shocker for me. Now, other people are like, oh, it, sh- it should have happened sooner and all that. I really didn't think so. They're all going to get paid through their non-compete. So uh, we're not going to see her in the independent circuit until uh, probably March or April if she decides to go that route. So I hate it for her. I hate it for all of them. But there just wasn't anything going on for them. Speaking of nothing going on. What in the hell did we just hear earlier today about former WWE champion hosting his own cruise, the one and only, the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller, Chris Jericho, going to be at Wrestle Kingdom? That's crazy. 
It is crazy because he's been a, a WWE guy since 1999. Never That is insane. A, a few years ago, he had an offer to go to TNA when... Well, 10 years ago, 2007, he had a huge offer to go to TNA. And when they were, that's when they were still hot. I mean, they were... Well, they weren't dead. Yeah. yeah. They, I'm, not, I'm not ever going to say that they were a, a hot company, but... They were still cooking with, with Angle, though, and with AJ, and they still... Samoa Joe, Samoa the X Joe, Division, yeah, was they very were still, popular. They were still cooking at that time. Christian was a big star, yeah. Yeah, yeah he turned them down uh, then to stay with the WWE... I mean, outside of his tours with Fozzie or whatever. And then to see today, yeah, that he's going to wrestle at Wrestle Kingdom is surprising. I mean, he's an older guy now. I mean, he's almost 50 years old. He uh, he has that cruise coming up. And I, what I was telling you when you told me about this earlier is that I assume that this is going to be a, a Wrestle Kingdom match where he loses and then have the rematch on the boat. The boat's not going to be televised, so he can lose to Kenny Omega uh, this is a dream match for a lot of people. It's two of the Canadian stars. I mean, they're two of the biggest Canadian stars ever. I mean, Kenny Omega is the hottest property in all of pro wrestling right now. Yeah, I and, think so also. And so Jericho's looking to sell some tickets for this cruise. And so I think this was uh, probably a compromise on his part because I'm sure that he actually would not like to do this at Wrestle Kingdom. I'm sure he would like to just do it on the boat and be done with it, but... I'm sure this was a, a compromise you have to have in, in contract negotiations with this guy. And so, yeah, he's going to wrestle for New Japan, which is still being commentated, the English version, by JR. So Jim Ross is going to call Chris Jericho on a New Japan product. This seems uh, wrong, but it's it's going to happen that way. I think it'll be great. It's good for, well, it's really good for pro wrestling fans because I don't think Kenny Omega's ever coming over. If he does, it's going to be years down the down the line, so... This match wouldn't happen otherwise, so I think it's a, it's a great for pro wrestling fans. I mean, I, uh, I'm i actually ecstatic about this. I want to see this match. I feel like this is a glimpse into what the capabilities of Kenny Omega can do with a WWE talent, as well as with the capabilities of what a Chris Jericho training, carrying. So I feel like I, this is a plus. This is a coup that they have pulled off in New Japan that I feel like whether Kenny Omega wants to go along with it or not, it will it will definitely benefit both sides. Well, and it's, it's definitely a shock to the WWE that even a guy that's been there forever, there's no guarantee that he's just going to say no, you know, yeah. that he's... It's time that WWE picks up their game and starts really starting to show true loyalty to to some of their boys that they... And I just don't mean, hey, how you doing? You know, we always got your back. You can always come back whenever you want. I'm talking about loyalty like contract loyalty. Loyalty like, hey, here's what we're going to pay you on this this bankroll. Loyalty on, hey, you're making this on your, your merch sales? Let's go ahead and pay you this. The fact that now... Or if you want to have dream matches, you tell us who you want to work with and we'll make it we'll happen. We'll make it happen. Instead of just, oh, Chris Jericho, you'll work with Fandango this week or whatever, yeah. you know. So I think that's, I hope they learn a lesson from this because I mean, I really think we're on the verge almost of an exodus of a lot of uh, talent, especially like when you look at like Gallows and Anderson, people that had success in New Japan, that what's the incentive for them to stay? I really, I, I'm shocked at this. But I really think within the next 10 years, I never would be saying this, 
within the next 10 years, you're going to see territory wrestling again. Well, it's almost like that now. I mean, you're going to have WWE, but your big names are going to swoop in there and swoop right back out. You're going to have New Japan. Your big names are going to swoop in there and back out. And you're going to have Ring of Honor. They're going to swoop in, swoop out. They're going to get money. But your territory wrestling, you're going to have a promoter book a show. He's going to run that show on his local television station. I feel like you're going to see territories again. And if that is possible, that opens up once again so much for the NWA brand to jump right ahead and take hold and run this thing like they once did before. I'm not sure you're going to see territories again, but I think you'll see more competition within the mainstream wrestling organizations where it won't just be assumed like this guy's going to sign with the WWE because we're the only game in town or whatever where I think... Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm thinking it's more going to be... You're going to be, instead of a uh, a self-employer per se, you're going to be an entrepreneur. You're going to be putting yourself, what's best for me to come and work for you? It's not what can the business offer me, it's what can I offer you what you, your company wants me okay well then what can your company offer me what can wwe give me to make me want to stay here it's right. it's not that you're the number one yeah you're the number one woohoo but really and truly that don't mean shit no more you know i feel like we're heading down that road of negotiations so time for change man this isn't a wwe guy this is a or a new japan guy this is chris jericho chris jericho's brand this is randy orton or randy orton's brand this is, you know, it's it's venturing out into that UFC type mentality. Ronda Rousey and her brand. Conor McGregor and his brand. It's not wrestlers looking to be a part of a brand. It's it's I am the brand and what can, you know, what can your company offer my brand for me to come and do a show for you. No, that's an excellent point. I think that's exactly where the business is heading. And this is a big sign of it. I don't think this is like... This isn't the... the Chris Jericho doing this is... A, is I mean, I still think we're a couple of years away from like every wrestler doing that. But I mean, you get people like Neville that are leaving right now. Or yep. that Cody Rhodes... I think Cody Rhodes really will be looked back upon as the... Paving the ground The one it. that started all this. Because look, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was thinking about it today. I didn't think Cody Rhodes was worth anything on the indie circuit because I, you know, I was only, I only saw him in the WWE as a WWE wrestler. To be honest, I always found him to be quite boring and really didn't offer anything, but he's, he's proved me wrong and he's proved uh, the wrestling world wrong and he's gone out there and he's, I think he's been the, uh, the example that all these other guys can follow and say, you know what, they, I don't need them, they need me and I can go somewhere else and. Yeah, and get it done, and and be just as happy, and even maybe even more financially secure because I mean Cody Rhodes wasn't going to make a lot of money in the WWE, and he was never going to main event. Especially, no. he wasn't even going to be mid card as Stardust. Well, I mean Stardust was holding him back. Eventually, Stardust was going to run out. I do think. Look, I I personally did enjoy Stardust for a minute. Like, I hated I'm not gonna, it. Yeah, I know, but I I enjoyed it for a minute. I thought it had a place, but... I thought the Rhodes Brothers tag team was a good idea. Now, I did like that. Gold Dust and and just straight Cody. He's the most successful guy to have left the company in quite a long time to uh, go out and and turn it all around and not come back to the company because... Uh, we see that a lot, like with Drew, Drew McIntyre, Drew Galloway, Jinder Mahal. These guys go out 
and come right back, but he's I don't think he's ever coming back. No, he's definitely shown that there's a he's set the road, he's set the map, he's set yeah. the set the course where And I feel like he's going to hit back up on on WWE and be like, "Listen, the road's name is mine." And I feel like he will go he will fight over that. I, I don't think a, he really cares that much. I mean, everyone knows who he is. So. Yeah, but I mean, I think he does though. I really that's but last but certainly not least, he did he or Diddy, or Puff Daddy, or whatever you want to call him, has gone to Twitter and announced that he is changing his name and he will only answer to two names. Mm-hmm. Love or Brother Love. Hmm. Now, I do not listen to to rap or any of this type of stuff. This is your expertise as a DJ. This is your your knock on the door. So enlighten me. All I can go is from the business side of it and the wrestling side of it. There is no way in hell WWE will allow him to use this name, Brother Love. Now, Diddy's changed his name several times. I mean, already. Correct. And you've already mentioned it. Uh, as a performer, he's not really been relevant in quite a while. Even his last mainstream single was with uh, a girl group. I forget their name now, but he wasn't even the featured performer on it. A lot of times, rappers change their names and never follow through with it. They announce a name change and don't don't go with it 100%. Like uh, the rapper uh, Old Dirty Bastard was a big baby Jesus for a little while. He never really followed through with that. He was also Dirt McGirt. He really never followed through with that. <laughs> that sounds and, like a Kid Rock nickname. <laughs> yeah, he, he was just old dirty bastard until he died. And so it's just something they do for a, a pop. P. Diddy was probably watching SmackDown on Tuesday, the Halloween edition, when uh, Kofi Kingston dressed up as Brother Love. And uh, Big E was uh, Akeem, which was really weird because you had a black man playing a white man who played a black man. It was very weird because, uh, I mean, Akeem... One Man Gang was not... Right. I mean, he was supposed to be from Africa. Correct. He was the African Dancing Machine or yeah. whatever. He was the... He was the, the yes. African Dream. Yeah, he was the African... Yes. Dream. And then, uh, of course, Xavier Woods. Xavier Woods was uh, Jimmy Hart. He did an okay Jimmy Hart, but uh, Brother Love, Kofi Kingston, was actually the best out of the three. So I'm thinking if P. Diddy saw that, that's where he got his inspiration from because... It was pretty incredible. I mean, this guy, he went all out. He put the red face on. He did the whole thing. Did he really? Oh, yeah. yeah. He And he had the he had the voice down. He had everything down. I would love to hear Bruce Pritchard do commentary on watching that skit, because that would be hilarious. Yeah, well, I found it I found it very convenient that the three guys they dressed up for as Halloween are still alive, so they yeah. can all oh, offer yeah. their commentary on it. But. Oh, yeah. One final thing this week, of course. I posted on our Facebook page, but live audio wrestling is no more. Uh, yeah. The show was on for 20 years, and they just celebrated their 20th birthday uh, just a couple months ago. And this show started out on online. It was back in the dial-up days. You had to download Real Player and then sit through a download to get this show. And then it went through many changes of many hosts and... Ended up on satellite radio before ending up on TSN radio in Canada. It was eventually bought by the Fight Network, which is owned by Anthem Sports. But the people involved with live audio wrestling, Dan Levransky and Jason Agnew, were the two main hosts. Now, I like them a lot, but I didn't like them as much as uh, John Pollock, who's the best wrestling reporter, in my opinion, uh, next to Dave Meltzer. I'd probably say he's the best wrestling reporter, the best combat sports reporter. Uh, not only with his wrestling coverage, but his MMA 
also waiting his photographer and podcast co-host all these guys did like between the five of them did a podcast almost every single day of the week uh all um Live audio wrestling would be on Sunday nights. They would review Raw on Monday nights. They would review SmackDown on Tuesday nights. They would review NXT on Wednesday nights. Then on uh, Friday, they would do a show called uh, Review Away, which is the show that this is based on, this podcast is based on, where they would take an old pay-per-view and just talk about it. And they also did a show called Keep It 2000, which was all... Nate Milton and Brian Mann would do a show reviewing an old episode of 2000's WCW Monday Nitro, the worst year of Monday Nitro oh, ever. Oh, it was the greatest year ever. It's awesome. And uh, <laughs> so all these guys were let go, and it's it's really bummer. It's a big bummer to me. Um, this was uh, brought up by you hit me up about it. They just seemed like I didn't know them personally. I hadn't listened to their show or anything. I know you did, and uh, and I hadn't. They seemed like great guys though, from my end. Oh yeah, and they had been doing review away for like. Six years now, I think. This was the sixth anniversary. I mean, even before podcasting was what it was now. I mean, where everybody has one. Where, you know, the WWE on Bring It to the Table saying, Oh, too many people got too many damn podcasts. But they were way, way ahead of the the trend. And uh, even though they're not with the Fight Network, they still did some podcasts this week. But it's just really it's really shitty because Anthem owns Fight Network and Anthem owns Impact Wrestling and a couple of weeks ago when Jarrett was let go he said all oh, Anthem's out of money and I didn't take much from that because of what's happened with Jeff Jarrett but he might be onto something and it just sucks when a company especially a parent company and I know this from personal experience with what one of my parent companies is up to. Uh, you know, it really sucks when they're invested in something and they, it loses money and then it causes cuts in other parts of the business that are totally, yeah. totally unrelated. So it really sucks. Uh, it causes that, that company as a whole to look back and see what the, uh, we got to cut money somewhere. Exactly, yeah. And instead of being like, well, this is what lost me my money and... You know that was a bad investment. It's more along the lines of, well, that was a bad investment. I got to cut costs and make my investment somewhere else. Sorry, you're out of a job. Well, especially like uh, John Pollock just had a, he just had a son like a couple months ago. So you're you're cutting a guy that just had a baby. I mean that's just terrible. Like yeah. And not only with the cuts from the Fight Network, but they cut some people from Impact Wrestling, including an inspiration to you, uh, Earl Hebner. And his son, yeah. all they fired all their referees, yeah. Patrick, because they're in Canada tonight doing Bound for Glory. We're taping this on Sunday. They're taping Bound for Glory in Ottawa. They're well, they're showing it live on pay per view somewhere. And uh, they, instead of using their own referees, they fired all their referees and said, "We'll just bring in some local guys." Yeah, I mean that's pretty shitty, especially yeah. for somebody like Earl Hebner, who had been with the company for several years. I mean, they feel like. A locker room can run themselves. They feel like a wrestling match can take place by itself. And anybody can be a referee. We don't need a wrestler. or Yeah, we don't need a referee. We don't need a a backstage coordinator. We lighting don't need, grids. We don't need lighting grids. We don't need people to do catering. We don't need people running the cameras. We don't need people... Oh, fuck that. We'll just figure it out. We'll figure all that shit out. Oh, you... you you ran your high school gymnasium school camera to t- videotape your play that year? Okay, yeah. No, Good. You're, you're our head camera guy. <laughs> it makes no sense. It literally makes no absolute sense whatsoever. And uh, and for the likes of the legendary Earl Hetner 
and and so on and so forth for all these guys. It's it's horseshit. It's pure horseshit. It is BS, and it's very disrespectful, and it's a slap in the face of of guys who have given their their lives to to this business, not to be out there in the public eye, not to be you know workers like a John Cena or something, but have given their lives to this business and are not making the kind of money that they should be making because they're the ones that make sure yeah. this show goes on every damn week. I mean, I, I'm not too sure about it, but I'm sure Earl Hebner was probably still setting up rings in 2017. You yeah. Know, and still doing the basic yeah. stuff. And so, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty shitty. And, and they bought this company a year ago and have really not done... Done what they said they're gonna do, and that's just very disappointing because at the time, I mean, it probably would have been better to just let the company go to Billy Corgan because here's somebody that's actually shown that he wants to invest in pro wrestling instead of Anthem, who's cutting everybody. And I mean, maybe there would have been cuts right at first, but at least you would have known it up front instead of sticking with the company for a year or whatever. So it's just, uh, I think it's ridiculous and it shouldn't. It shouldn't have happened. It's a very, it's very disrespectful. Sort of like War Games 1995. Yeah, exactly the same. You thing. literally were taking the words out of my <laughs> mouth because that's exactly where I was going. You know what's disrespectful? <laughs> you know what's disrespectful? What's that? You making me watch this shit? Hey, hold on a second. <laughs> okay, you made me watch Halloween Havoc '98 last week. The only thing good about this, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, was Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. And even then, even then, I was thinking this needs to be on last after the war games because this is the only main event that really matters. Yeah, so Fall Brawl 1995. I wanted to pick a war games because we mentioned it already, NXT doing war games at the end of the month, uh, the day before Survivor Series. I, spoiler alert, I'm picking Survivor Series, just so you know. Okay, well, that's that's fine. <laughs> it's it's easy to pick stuff when it's on topic like that. So. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to pick a War Games that wasn't so good, because we watched the best one ever, which was 92, which was Sting Squadron versus uh, the Dangerous Alliance, which was oh, a, yeah. an outstanding War Games. It was, oh, it was great. It was awesome with Rick Rude and Bobby Eaton and... Steve, Steve Austin. Austin and Dustin Rhodes, Sting, Sting Larry Zabisco. Oh God, it, that that literally. I Ricky agree. the Dragon Steamboat. I, I mean, agree. That could quite possibly be the very best one ever. Oh, Rick Rude was yeah, in there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a fantastic match. And so I wanted to pick a bad one. I didn't want to. I didn't bore you with Fall Brawl '98, so I saved you that. Which was <laughs> we the will worst. probably hint on that at some point. And well, that'll be the last show that we do probably. <laughs> this is Fall Brawl WCW. 1995. It's War Games. It's September 17th, 1995. And this is a historic pay-per-view in some ways, Patrick, because this is the first pay-per-view of the Monday Night Wars. Because Nitro had just started on TNT. This is the the first post-Nitro pay-per-view they had ever done. And as much as we think of Nitro as being, oh, it's all, you know, NWO, it's all realistic storylines, well, uh, not quite yet. We're still stuck in some uh, fantasy cartoon characters as we have Hulk Hogan is here to save the day against the the monster mash of the... That's right. The Dungeon of Doom. And speaking of monster mash, you know what happened? The Dungeon of Doom... Earlier today, ran over Hulk Hogan's brand new Harley Davidson motorcycle. Well, yeah. To be fair, that was just the giant and his monster truck. Well, which so. it was odd that he already had a monster truck, 
Uh, like considering... Dungeon of Doom across the side of it? Oh, it was Dungeon of Doom? I yeah. thought it was just a giant monster Did truck. Did you know that in in monster truck, wrestling monster truck linkage there, the Dungeon of Doom was the first one, and then the uh, Rainbow Sting, and then Hollywood Hogan? That's how it worked. So Dungeon Doom was the very first wrestling monster truck. They loved monster trucks in WCW. They did. And NASCAR. WCW just thought that rednecks that love wrestling love monster trucks and NASCAR. Yeah, Which Kyle, they, were, they were right. It really upset me because I loved Kyle Petty as a kid and he joined the NWO. He did. Uh, and sitting in the locker room. A with heel him. turn. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of uh, BS, you know, in my. I have to say. Well, I love this NASCAR driver, but he's working with the NWO now. I'm a Petty family kind of guy. I love the Petty family. Richard Petty, 43, greatest of all time, the king. And, uh, and Kyle Petty was 42. Kyle right? Petty was 40, 42. And, and so, 44. He or, was yeah, both four, numbers, too. Yeah, and so when I saw that, I was like, no, man. Not only are they taking Hogan, but they're taking my, you know, the, the good, wholesome, homeboy Petty family. They're taking... Kyle from her salsa. That's terrible. It is terrible. Well, the NWO, you know, all the incentive of the money and the fame, it's just too much. It is. We're at the Asheville Civic Center in Horseman Territory in front of 6,600 people. Now, before the main card gets going, here's what happened on main event. Big Bubba defeated Mark Thorne in one minute and four seconds. Disco Inferno defeated Joey Maggs. In 233, Alex Wright wrestled Eddie Guerrero to a no contest in Eddie Guerrero's WCW debut in 636, his televised debut. And then the American Males, your favorite tag team, Marcus Bagwell and Scotty Riggs, defeated the Nasty Boys, who also got a pay-per-view payday by having a run-in on the card tonight, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags. They defeated the Nasty Boys, the American Males did, in 415, so that's what happened before the card started tonight that's what we missed on tbs even though this that main event card was almost that's a pretty good card right there they, we had six matches on the main card and they had four on the pre-show so we almost had the equivalent number of matches yeah hell yeah we got flying brian then the very next thing i see who is brian pillman facing <laughs> Fucking Mark Marrow. Well, see, this is the thing. You only dislike Brock Lesnar and Mark Marrow. These are the only two wrestlers you don't like for some reason. I have I have private heat with Mark Marrow. That's a different story. So I was like, really, dude? You had to pick one that Mark Marrow is in a highlighted matchup? Up until he jumped to the WWF, he opened up pretty much every pay-per-view, like from That's late true. 95 until 96 when he that, left. That is true. I will give you that. Tonight we have two main events. Arn versus Ric Flair, then War Games, of course. Hulk Hogan and the Hulkamaniacs taking on the Dungeon of Doom. Tony and Bobby Heenan are on the call tonight. Yes, as you mentioned, Flying Brian is going to take on Johnny B. Bad, also known as Mark Marrow. Johnny B. Bad tries to give the crowd a frisbee, but fails miserably uh, before finally throwing the frisbee in the crowd. He threw it and hit the turnbuckle, <laughs> and the it turnbuckle. Like, bounced right back at him. They get a Michael Buffer intro. For the first match. It was very weird. They, they did. They made Michael Buffer work all night here tonight. Uh, you know what? For the money they were paying in, that motherfucker needed to. He shoots his bad blaster confetti gun before Michael Buffer intros the match. This is a U.S. title number one contenders match. Not even a U.S. titles match. The next match, the U.S. title match, when they finally do get it, it'll be on Saturday night, not Nitro. So they're still booking Saturday night as the main show, not Nitro. 
Tony talks about Sting training Mark Merrow, but guess what? That is a lie. Mark Merrow was trained by the Malenko family. He was not trained by Sting. In fact, Mark Merrow is only like two years younger than Sting. Brian decks Merrow with a punch that opens him up. He gets a bloody eye from this punch. It was, it was a hard right wicked. hand. Yeah. We get a flying head scissors and a roll up to Mark Merrow for a two count, right into a headlock from Flying Brian. Merrow locks on his own headlock and keeps Brian on the ground. Brian puts Merrow in a Boston Crab. Brian drops the hold. Merrow whips Pillman to the ropes and hits a tilt a whirl backbreaker. Brian thinks about leaving the entire match, but says, you know what, I guess I'll come back. Merrow hits a leg drop by leaping over the ropes to Pillman for a two count. Merrow suplexes Pillman out of the ring, ouch. But don't worry, he landed on his feet, so it's all good. Yeah. Then he hits a Pescado to Pillman from the uh, ropes. Johnny B. Bad tries an axe handle smash, but gets drop kicked out of the sky by Brian Pillman. Merrow hits a sit-out powerbomb for two. Pillman tombstones Mark Merrow for a two count. Pillman tries a tornado DDT but gets shoved off the turnbuckle. Pillman puts Merrow in the worst submission move I've ever seen with sort of a halfway uh, leg wrapped around Merrow's head. It was one of the laziest looking submission moves I've ever seen. Pillman and Bad then reach a time limit draw, but Nick Patrick says, you know what, this match has to go on. In sudden death, or in other words, a normal match, because... The first fall always ends a match, right, Patrick? So That's true, yes. S- sudden death means nothing. S- sudden death means that we must have a winner. No. Sudden death means no, no more time limits. No more time limits. Pillman whips Merrill into the guardrail. Flying Brian tries a missile dropkick, but Merrill tries a dropkick of his own, so it has no impact. Brian locks Merrill in a sleeper, then Merrill gets to the ropes and puts Pillman into a sleeper. Pillman then suplexes Merrill out of it. We get a diving sunset flip off the top turnbuckle. Gets a two count for Mark Merrow. Pillman hits a Hurricane Rana on Merrow for a two count. Top rope Frankensteiner, Mark Merrow does, on Brian Pillman. Brian hits a Tornado DDT off the second rope for a two count. Then Merrow throws Pillman off the apron into the guardrail. Merrow hits the bad move, which is a Tope Con Hilo uh, to the outside. Pillman counters a bad move, which is a splash from the apron, gets his knees up. Pillman hits a suicide dive on Merrill out on the entryway. Pillman crotches himself looking for a leg drop. Then Bad and Pillman both look for running crossbodies. Bad gets the better of it somehow and gets the win from a... We both hit a crossbody yeah. spot. And then covers and wins the match. It was a quite a letdown of a finish considering all the uh, prior spots they had done. In a 30-minute opening match. I hated this match. You hated this match. I said it was a contender for match of the night. I would have thought that as well. And what had happened was, is Pillman landed on top of him, and it they it, it really fucked up the finish. Pillman landed on top of him practically, and he had to then flip Pillman over to pin him one, two, three. It just really looked bad. Other than that, though, I don't. I would have. I actually would have thought this was contender for match of the night. These two competitors did a good job, but 30 minutes is too long for them to fill in an opening match, and they weren't working a pace. They weren't working a very mm-hmm. fast pace. I mean, this was a very slow match with a lot of for, headlocks. For a for a Marrow Pillman style high flying, this was a slow match. This was a slow paced. You're right, and so. Well, the story that I've heard uh, from OSW review about this match is that the main eventers. Hogan and Macho Man and the people in power in WCW wanted to pull a prank on these two guys and 
right before the match said, oh, you're going 30 minutes. Yeah. So these guys had to pull a rabbit out of the hat and make this a 30-minute match because I can't recall another WCW pay-per-view from this time period where two guys would get 30 minutes on the opening match. Right. I mean, in Halloween Havoc, those matches were like three and four minutes apiece, like up until the main events. Like 30 minutes on an opening match is just pretty crazy. Even if it's a barn burner, to get cast, to get put in that first spot is just, even in today's WWE, they don't book like that. Austin Aries and Neville, you've got 30 minutes. No. I mean, even on the pre show, when there's nothing coming behind you, they don't give you 30 minutes. I mean,. This was a tough spot to be put in. Well, and Pillman also knew what was in store for him later tonight and later in his character's development. So he had something to... Something down the road was really going to be good, be good for him and his character. As for Mark Merrill, I mean, yeah, he got the win, but then he was put into a feud with DDP that lasted seemingly forever. And this wasn't DDP at the top of his popularity. This was heel DDP with very limited in-ring ability and yeah. heel DDP that nobody likes to remember. The Diamond Doll. Yeah. Give me a perfect 10, That's right. Diamond Doll. Interesting, like uh, Stone Cold... Steve Austin was, like, let go from WCW, like, maybe two weeks before this. So, yes. Uh, a big mistake, I guess. And when you look back in the... They had to cut pay for Hogan. And uh, Austin was very uh, vocal about his displeasure of this when he went to ECW and basically created the Stone Cold character. But, well, like, Brian Pillman, he sort of got a, a big push, you know, yeah. within a few months with the, the loose cannon gimmick basically being born in WCW, so it almost makes me think, did he get that as a direct result of Austin leaving? Was it like, we don't want you to leave too, so here's what we're going to give you? Like, Or if Austin had stuck around, do you think he would have been in the Four Horsemen? I think Austin, if Austin is stuck around, he could have quite possibly been in the Four Horsemen. I think him and Pillman both. He was still never going to be a huge star, even if he stayed. No, basically. but I think that it would have turned into. I think that's what kind of turned it into for for Pillman to be like, hey, you know, uh, we we want you to go ahead and go ahead, because Pillman had been hitting them up with this loose cannon idea. Right, he told them to cut him, and they. Hey, we'll go ahead and go along with it because we really don't want you going there and doing the same bullshit that Austin just did to us and made us look like a freaking joke. And in the end, he ended up doing that, though. Anyway, yeah. So, Pillman's still way ahead of his time, in my opinion. I think he's actually one of the most underrated performers. Um, Well, because 95 through 97 uh, was sort of a, a down period up until... Early 97, I'd say. Because this this era of both companies isn't really fondly remembered. I mean, even... I just... So I think he kind of doesn't get enough credit. And also, I mean, unfortunately, he passed away towards the end of 1997. So... And he had that... He had a wreck that kept him out of the ring in WWF when they signed him. When they signed him, he was just an announcer. This, This very small window between WCW and ECW... Very underrated. Very groundbreaking to have a wrestler sort of breaking the fourth wall, telling you uh, that he doesn't give a shit about this company or where it's going, and that he doesn't like it, and that he's out of control. I mean, that's... I, I Especially in a, in a world dominated from, like, social media, I, I, way I'm ahead sh- of his time. I'm sure we're going to, and I it's one that I haven't pulled out of my bag because of it, the pay-per-view is so bad. 
but his his when he shows up at ECW, that um, that event is highlighted strictly due to Pillman being there. But for Pillman to work the crowd the way he did and to say he's going to pull his dick out and piss right in that ring and to have that giant big mob scene of fans angry of promote you know here comes Todd Gordon and Paul and all that it it just made Pillman you cannot say it enough that Pillman was so revolutionary and ahead of his time well, up next we get Cobra versus Sergeant Craig Pittman. Okay, first of all, I got a lot to say about this. <laughs> Who the fuck is Cobra? Well, Cobra, legendarily, would later on go on to become Fake Sting. This is Imposter really? Sting. Yes, this is... Okay. Well, or NWO Sting, yeah. as he was called in... W- in, um, in Japan, they would just call him NWO Sting. They wouldn't call him Fake Sting, but... Yes, this is Cobra... This is pretty much, I think, his only pay-per-view match. This was a very, as you can tell by the way the match went, a very quickly scrapped idea. Uh, the story is, Sergeant Craig Pittman, who was actually a Marine, uh, so they bring in Cobra, who's, I believe he was a power plant guy, and uh, so they say that he was in Craig Pittman's um, corps. He was in the Marine Corps. His, he was in his group of soldiers somewhere overseas, and... Cobra deserted the... He went, he went AWOL. Yeah. He went AWOL. And so, naturally, how do you settle a feud based on that? You settle it in a WCW ring. Absolutely. Years later. This Absolutely. was like years ago, so... Yeah. He, <laughs> so, he left Sergeant Pittman there to, to die. die. <laughs> and so, you know what? Pittman's not taking any chances. No, no. He said, I'll Cobra, see you in several years. Cobra comes down... Pittman's music hits. No, Pittman sends out a uh, a private to a go private. have a chat with. Uh, Do you know who this private was? I saw it on the spoiler. <laughs> I saw it on the Wikipedia page because I thought that looks a lot like Prince Iakea. <laughs> I was wondering. And uh, yeah, it was Prince Iakea. Prince Iakea comes down to have a chat with Cobra. Meanwhile. Craig Pittman does the Sting entrance, which is odd that he's talking to fake Sting eventually. He does the yeah. Sting entrance, and descending from, the, from ceiling, the rafters. Drops from the ceiling. And essentially for one of the quickest matches in oh, and WCW history. Not only that, we, we've <laughs> talked before about how these army gimmicks never get over. Never. These just never. never. <laughs> there was one, Sergeant Slaughter. And then after that, it, it went, never works. Because we've we've seen it. We get it. <laughs> You know, I can watch G.I. Joe if I want soldiers or whatever. (laughs) So Sergeant Pittman descends from the ceiling while uh, Cobra is distracted. He slides in the the second ring. Crawls. And crawls. Army crawls into the other ring. Sneaks up on Cobra. With his ammo belt and chokes Cobra. And chokes Cobra with the ammo belt. And then locks in the Code Red, which is not the normal version of the Code Red. It's a cross arm breaker. And Cobra taps in like a minute and a half. This was the fastest WCW match in history, I do believe. And this ad, I mean... Goldberg didn't beat people this fast. He might have beat people this fast. It just <laughs> depends on the week. But this week. <laughs> considering you just sat through a 30-minute match, to see a match in a minute and a half was pretty crazy. <laughs> it's like it flew by so fast. Now, here's your spot of the night. Oh, yeah. Paul Orndorff meets Gary Spivey. Of the Psychic Companions Network. 
because, of course, Paul Orndorff was going through a uh, a crisis. He didn't think he was wonderful. And so Gary Spivey and his puffy gray curly afro I was, I was, yeah. of his helmet hair, <laughs> he needed to remind Paul Orndorff that he's Mr. Wonderful. Listen, you're not Paul Orndorff. I'm not? No. <laughs> you're Mr. Wonderful. Oh, okay. Thanks. That's right. They do call me Mr. No, you're not. They don't call you Mr. Wonderful. You are Mr. Wonderful. Wow, you could be a regular Gary Spivey. Look in that mirror. Okay. Do you see who you are? I see Paul Orndorff. No. Who do you see? I see Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> That's right. You do see Mr. Wonderful. Now, what are you? I'm wonderful. I am wonderful. I love how much, how close attention you paid to this. <laughs> I mean, this shit went on. It was hilarious from start well, to finish. Well, it's hilarious because Paul Orndorff doesn't show up on the rest of the program. Oh, hell no. Then we cut back to to uh, the announce table. Tony and Bobby. And Bobby is sitting there going, that's what he needed all along. And I'm going, God, this was terrible. This was mind-breaking boring it was bad yeah and they made you pay for this i they mean made, that's yeah so they had this cross promotional deal with gary spivey who was actually a psychic reader he was sort of like miss cleo before miss cleo was a thing and he had uh, late night specials on e and other channels and so this was a cross promotional thing where he would show up and uh wcw didn't actually pay him for this so this was this was like Gary Spivey helping out WCW. But this guy looked ridiculous in his uh, gray, curly-headed afro wig thing. I wouldn't want my fortune read from this man. This dude, like, he looked he looked like some 70s porn star kind of guy. Like, he really... A Jerry Curl afro with... Yeah, with, like years out of the business, I think. Yeah. This was bad. This was This was bad, yeah. The World TV title match is up next. It's Diamond Dallas Page with Max Muscle. And he is taking on the Ultimate Warrior. I'm sorry. No, he's taking on Renegade. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they had already pulled shenanigans with this Renegade character a few months before because on Saturday night they teased for this... I forget forget which pay-per-view it was, but they teased the Ultimate Surprise is going to happen at this pay-per-view. The ultimate surprise, and so they thought they had a deal worked out with Ultimate Warrior. They didn't, and so when they didn't, they realized, well, we've got to deliver something. And so they went and found this male stripper. I forget his name now. Sorry, Renegade. Sorry. But uh, they went and got this guy. They put him in a singlet. They made him sort of look like the Ultimate Warrior, if Ultimate Warrior was sold at, like, Sam's Club. And uh, this was the Renegade. This is your Dollar General version. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, Renegade, you know, I can laugh, but he was given the world TV title and Jimmy Hart. So, at first, they did have a lot of yeah. They had to do that. They had to do that to try to make him somewhat seem believable. Oh, and when all this was over, it was pretty bad for Renegade. Jimmy Hart walks in the ring and calls him by his like real name and says, "You're not Renegade. You're just Jeff or whatever," and just totally destroys this guy character. But he showed up at Fall Brawl 98, so he did have like a two, three year run here with the company. 
sadly he would kill himself like shortly yeah. thereafter but renegade here not the ultimate warrior like if i had a really bad creator wrestler ultimate warrior that is who the renegade is so ddp is taking on the renegade ddp takes a hilarious bump where he stumbles into the ring post on his own power and then stumbles over the guardrail yes this is impressive that was uh, quite a distance he covered. He Yes. Renegade keeps DDP in a side headlock for ages. This guy didn't know any wrestling moves. I didn't know that DDP could actually have a match this bad. Oh, I know. Well, the Diamond Doll rates DDP's moves as a 10. I think she was a little biased. I think she needs glasses. <laughs> and as I mentioned here... This is the original Ty Dillinger gimmick. This is the perfect 10. That is very true. This was all stolen. Renegade hits a somersault back elbow. You know the move that China does? Uh, That's his signature move here. He hits that and then a double axe handle. It only gets a two count though on DDP. DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, hits a nasty DDT on Renegade for a two count. A diamond cutter is countered into an inside cradle for a two count for Renegade. But then DDP runs into Max Muscle by accident. Renegade hits a power slam, but then gets distracted by Max Muscle on the outside of the ring. So Renegade jumps off the top turnbuckle and instead of hitting DDP, hits Max Muscle on the outside with a clothesline. He goes back into the ring. Max Muscle no-sold his clothesline apparently, grabs his leg, and Diamond Dallas Page hits a diamond cutter. And boom, one, two, three. Renegade feels the bang, and his career is he effectively over. Yeah. Oh, it's um, amazing how over Diamond Dallas Page got within like a year's time. Because I was sitting there, thinking he was the in same no man's thing, land. In '95, I was like, I don't remember this being '95 DDP, but at the end of '95 DDP, going into '96, was when you started seeing the People's Champion DDP. Yeah, he came back. Marrow, when Marrow left the company, DDP had the blow-off match against the Booty Man. And from that match onward, for whatever reason, people just love Diamond Dallas Page. I I can't really describe what happened, because I don't really think his character made a dramatic change um, between 95 and 96. But for whatever reason, people just loved him. People just changed their mind. He did go from heel to face, though, because Kimberly, the Diamond Doll, took all of his money. And so he came back as a as a broke face. And so the people got behind him because they felt sorry for him because the Diamond Doll took all his money. And uh, then he became just a huge superstar. It's, it's one of those things that WCW just stumbled into. Because unlike Goldberg, where there was a sophisticated build, there was a... There, we had an idea in mind. DDP, there was no idea in mind to make this guy a star. The NWO did put him over, which was very important because he was friends with Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. That was probably the most instrumental part of his success. But as far as like WCW's booking of him, they just stumbled into it that the people loved him. I mean... When it clicked... It ran fast and hard. Oh, and to this day, I mean, he's one of the... I think he's one of the best stories of pro wrestling in general. Not just WCW, but a guy that didn't become a wrestler until his 30s. Yeah. And then become a top guy, a champion. In his 50s. And then, outside of wrestling, when he got done with wrestling, turned it into the yoga business. I mean, to to be a successful entrepreneur... And not only that, but to help people with his business. I mean, he he rejuvenated himself. He reinvented himself. He he made himself and his brand 
important. And so, yeah, man, DDP is, like you said, he is definitely a... Out of all the Hall of Fame speeches that we saw last year, that was the one that I liked the most, I think, Absolutely. was his. Yeah. Um, because he's just so appreciative of the business and also... And there's not a thing... That you. There's not no one thing, ever talks bad about him. No, there's not a thing you can find bad about him. There's not a thing the man won't do for you. So, uh, so yeah. Now, here is the match where you and I are going to disagree. I can already fucking tell. You know why? Because it's got two of these fucking redneck cowboy wrestlers in it, which you love. Yeah, absolutely. I knew it. I knew it as soon as I saw it. I said, this Patrick is going to love these guys. He's going to hate Harlem Heat. Hell yeah. No, these guys suck. I'm sorry, but Dirty Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck are two of the worst wrestlers what? that I've ever seen. What? <laughs> They're the two where they are by far. No. They're worse than Cobra on this card. Well, that's that there's no one that bad. <laughs> well, they didn't get jobbed out as quick, but I think Cobra looked as I think Cobra looked better. Dick Slater should be in the Hall of Fame. No. Yes. No, he is terrible. These guys Dick Slater should I'm be in the sorry. Hall of Fame. Look, up until a certain point, I give Look, I understand that these guys grew up watching cowboy shows or whatever, and they love the Lone Ranger, so they all wanted to be fucking cowboys. There's a million cowboy wrestlers, I get it. But then, you know, we're in 1995 by now. At this point, guys, it's time to reinvent your character. It's time to do... It's time to get in shape. It's time to look the part. And these two guys look like they are stuck in 1974. Wouldn't it be John Wayne instead of the Lone Ranger? Because the Lone Ranger wore masks. They didn't wear masks. Oh, that's true, yeah. Well, none of them were... That, because, oh, you can't wear a mask unless you're Mexican. I've always hated this idea. I This is a Vince idea. I've hated this idea that American wrestlers can't wear fucking masks. No. It's always bothered me. Why, why is that? That's Mexican heritage. But it doesn't matter, you know? Most of them drop the mask over time anyway. Like, I just don't understand, like... That's why one thing, you know, I won't say much about like Del Wilkes' run in the WWF. But he did. He was an American that wore a mask. Hell, it was a fucking American flag and an eagle for a mask. But like, or Kane, Glenn Jacobs. The fact that Glenn Jacobs was an American wrestler that wore a mask for many years, and as soon as they took the mask off, and what? I mean, basically, I, in my opinion, like that was a huge like. Uh, Kane's not as cool anymore. I'm just saying. I think that you should be able to wear a mask wherever you're from. And that, you know, Lone Ranger, I know Lone Ranger wore a mask, but I think the cowboy wrestlers, some of them should have wore masks. I love Especially that. these ugly guys like Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. We've seen so many cowboy wrestlers. That's all I'm saying is like... Well, Dusty was. Well, he was... Didn't he... He did wear a mask, right? Is He was the Lone Stranger, right? Dusty? Wasn't he... Didn't he no. have a mask gimmick? No. He did as one at one point. Or no, he's the Midnight Rider. The Midnight Rider wore a mask, right? <laughs> I, I'm just sitting back, fans, and watching this man's mind work because this is actually pretty entertaining. He was the Midnight Rider. He was the Midnight Rider, and he wore a mask. Are you sure of this? Hold on, look it up. Yeah, he wore a mask. He wore like a lucha mask and a cowboy hat, <laughs> as if that would cover up. <laughs> that's like you know, that's Dusty Rhodes. That's true. So yeah, he wore a mask. Even Dusty Rhodes wore a mask, okay? Really? You keep thinking it's not... What, do you disagree? I don't think it's Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you buy kayfabe. That's like, you know, there's sometimes there's masked referees, you know? Things like that. Everybody wants to claim it's one specific person. That's not true. 
I'm sorry. I just think there's a time and a place for a, cow- <laughs> a cowboy wrestler. I, no, I really, in all honesty, I get what you're saying. I uh, I think it was, uh, I thought it was very entertaining. And yeah. I, I loved them. I loved to watch them beat the hell out of Harlem Heat. Well, it Harlem was just Heat. them beat the hell out of Booker. Because Stevie Ray tagged in for like two seconds. Harlem Heat sucked. Harlem, no. Heat, Harlem Heat did terrible. There's only one person in this match that's good, and that's Booker <laughs> T. And <laughs> I'm not a huge Booker T fan, but and, he was the one that could do moves. <laughs> Actually, in all honesty, uh, this was a good match. No, I, this I, was not. I, yeah, of course. I did enjoy this match. I knew it. It had drama. And, oh, yes, of course. It had heightened drama with... Uh, with Sister Sherry. Oh yes, is she gonna make out with uh, Colonel Parker? With Colonel Parker. It had the screw over with uh, with the Nasty Boys. It had. Oh, gosh, this was terrible. This was my worst match of the night. Honestly, really? Yes, even more so because at least over Cobra and Pittman. Yeah, but at least Cobra and Pittman only takes a minute and a half. This takes like a lot longer. No, it went about twelve minutes. No, oh, okay. Bunkhouse Buck tags in and gets double teamed. Lots of headlocks, front chanceries, and then, of course, Stevie Ray tags in for a minute. Slater hits one of the worst-looking atomic drops I've ever seen to Stevie Ray, who, of course, no-sells it, because why would he? Slater hits a shitty pile driver to Booker for a two-count that looked like it could have nearly broken Booker's neck. Booker T is the legal man for ages in this match. And when I say ages, I mean pretty much the whole match. The match is so boring, they start showing us the cage hanging from the rafters, reminding us about the main event. Bunkhouse Buck nearly drops Booker on his head from a botched scoop slam. Slater puts Booker up in a standing Boston Crab, and then Bunkhouse Buck tags in and takes over after Stevie Ray kicks Slater out of the ring, and Nick Patrick allows this non-tag to stand. He lets the illegal man just go ahead and become the legal man. You want to know why? Because he doesn't care. No, because they're cowboys, and they can do whatever they want. Oh, okay. Stevie Ray finally gets the hot tag, who runs mild and scoop slams the rednecks. Sherry and the colonel get in the other ring, and Sherry is on her hands and knees. Uh Uh-oh, what is about to happen in this other ring? She is crawling to him, begging her for some colonel. The nasty boys, who were on main event, decide they're going to run out, and... (laughs) While they're doing this, Colonel Parker absolutely wears the face off of Sherry as they make out these two. It's like watching your lunch lady make out with the, the principal as Sherry and <laughs> Colonel Parker make out in the other ring. We don't even get to see what happens in the tag team ring, but they show us from a wide angle what happened. The Nasty Boys hit Slater with his own boot. Yes. Oh, the blasphemy. And then Harlem Heat gets the pin, and they are your new tag team champions. To no reaction. This entire match had no reaction. And then Harlem Heat is pissed off at Sherry because she wasn't doing her job. And then she says, It's psychology! You've got the belts, right? For good or bad, they did win the tag team title belts, so. Yeah, but you gotta look at it like this. She left them to go be with a rich white man. Well, but she's white herself. It's not like she's... It's not like it's Miss Jackie. If it was Miss Jackie, it would look really bad. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. And then he was he was co-manager with her over Harlem Heat for a little while. They had their marriage on uh, Clash of Champions. So. They did. A Halloween Havoc promo airs. We better check that out. Halloween Havoc 95. Sumo Monster Truck Match. 
check that out. One one day we will watch that. Mean Gene is with Arn Anderson, and a promo airs recapping the history between Arn and Rick. After this interview with Double A, my money is on Double A. Double A is focused. He is set. He is ready. He is going to win the match against the Nature Boy Ric Flair tonight. Oh, I missed Ric Flair's interview earlier in the show. It was like the second thing. It was really good too, though, because Flair mentions mentions their, they both mention their history together. But Flair mentions uh, being uh, adopted and uh, Arn coming from a broken home, and that this is you know sometimes even the ones you love you you've got to beat some sense into them. That's right. And that's the same thing that Arn says about Rick. This actually. The promo that airs for this match makes me interested in the match. This is really why I would buy the pay-per-view. This, I'm telling you, this, exactly. And this promo that Arn cuts with Mean Gene, I'm... This is where you have your roots. Asheville, North Carolina, Nature Boy. You and Arn Anderson, during the embryonic stages of your career, this is where it all began. And isn't it ironic that the two of you should return here tonight as adversaries? Doctor, the... Symbol of excellence. Double A. It was you and I. For 15 years we saw him come. We saw him go. But we bonded. We lived together. We sweated together. We bled together. And at times we cried together. But we shared that bond. Never having a brother. Never having a sister. Me adopted, you from a broken home, we bonded. We became what life's all about. We were best friends through it all. I never asked you for anything that I wouldn't give back, and you the same way. But here today, ironically enough, Asheville, Horseman Country, the two of us, we don't walk that aisle tonight side by side, masters of the war games as the horsemen were. No, we go out from opposite ends of the building. And as I said earlier, Double A, so many people in life never have an opportunity to stand next to greatness, to be around greatness, much less touch greatness. And tonight, my friend, you're going to face greatness. Rick Flair, can I interrupt? Right now, as we stand here, oh, a few minutes before your match, do you hate the man? Do you hate Arn Anderson? The problem is, I love him. But I love him so much that tonight I gotta show him why. He's gonna have to explain to his little boy, or I'm gonna have to explain to mine, there's only one king of the hill. And in Asheville, North Carolina, styling and profiling, it's going to be, woo! The Nature Boy. I thank you very much from back of the locker room, Eric, the Nature Boy, Rick Flair. Final comments before his excellence. meeting later tonight with the enforcer, Arn Anderson. Let's get you back to the ring. Arn Anderson, come on in. Before I talk to you regarding your matchup with Rick Flair, I want you to take a look at some of the history between the two of you that has taken place. Let's go. Family ties have been severed between Rick Flair and Arn Anderson and there is no turning back. Arn had done his best to help Ric Flair continue to hang on. As Ric Flair hides behind the Enforcer, 
fans could sense that there were problems in the horseman's stable. The first time could be forgiven. This time was not forgotten. Vader felt the quake. He used the turmoil between these two and capitalized on it. It was quite obvious that the problems were more than just a family tip. Something was wrong. Now, Rick, I looked in your eyes. I know we didn't leave the match the way we wanted to. There's nobody to blame here. Was it all okay between Double A and Ric Flair? Ric Flair looked as if he was taking advantage of a good situation. As he left Double A in the ring the majority of the time, has Ric Flair lost his drive? Since Hulk Hogan has arrived, Flair has not been the competitor of old. His obsession to be number one has caused problems in the home front and alienated him from his friends. And now, Ric Flair has been pushed harder than ever to prove himself a champion. When Ric faced Alex Wright, it was apparent that Double A wanted Flair to show that he still had the drive to excel. The flamboyant nature boy then ran off at the mouth. On without his frustration in a candid interview. That everything in the world, it should be floating on cloud nine. I don't know what's wrong with it. Fans deserve to hear more. Arn's wife let the cameras into their home. Arn's explosion continued on. Soon after, fans walked up to an unexpected locker room shouting match. He's got a match, Arn's. It's not out there. Let me explain something. Flair just went out the back door. He's left me again. Double A, I think you know what you are. That's why you're in the ring with me at Fall Brawl. What I got to do to you, pal, is prove why I've been where I've been for a life. Woo! There is no longer time for understanding. Families often hurt the ones they love most. This time, there's no way to patch things up. The family feud you never thought you'd see has come to a reality. Ric Flair and Arn Anderson on opposing sides riding in different directions but colliding on the same course at Fall Brawl. Gene Oakland, whether you hate me, whether you love me, whether you respect me or you don't respect me, the one thing I've always given everybody is I've always called a spade a spade. I've either loved with a passion or I've hated with a passion and with a vengeance. And everybody has had a family member at one time or the other that was messing up. And you had to grab them and you had to shake them because words no longer mattered. Well, Ric Flair, I've been back here. My stomach has been in knots. My heart's been pounding out of my chest. And I wouldn't be telling the truth if I didn't tell you I'm a nervous wreck because i got to trade fists with somebody that I love more than God itself. You understand, you've been a brother to me when I didn't have one. Now i got to go trade fists with you. But it's something that's got to happen because when I get up in the morning and look in that mirror, i got to answer to me. And if you don't stand up in this world, all a man can do is stand up and live by his word, right or wrong. Tonight, I give Asheville, I give the world, and I give you, Ric Flair, my word on this. I'm going to give you all I got as a man and win, lose, or draw. Trust me, I'm going to respect myself in the morning, and you're going to respect me. All right, the man is headed to the ring. 
I had asked Ric Flair earlier if he loved or hated Arn Anderson. Guess he loved him, and he loved him for many years, but apparently both of these men have to meet tonight in what I suspect is going to be a classic, a classic match. Everywhere I have gone, people are abuzz about this one. Arn Anderson is focused, he is set, he is ready. Double A will win this match. This is the biggest match of his career, I would say. I mean, this I is a say, long time yeah, coming. Yeah. And anyone who knows me personally knows Double A is the shit to me anyway. I mean, Double A is the greatest thing as it pertains to wrestling. And and I think Double A, this is a great opportunity for him, for his career, I think. And he is focused. He intends to prove tonight that Ric Flair is not thinking. He's not thinking straight. Straight at all. Arn is out first, and then Rick comes out second, and he's looking a little downtrodden. He's not exactly styling and profiling because he's fighting his best friend. This is this is his storyline cousin. I mean, this is uh, yeah. deeply personal here. Yeah. And basically, uh, the blame for all this somehow is Hulk Hogan, is what has driven these people apart for some reason. Ever since Hogan arrived. Ric Flair is too focused on Hogan and the world title instead of being focused on taking care of business and getting that title back. All the wrestlers who wrestled earlier tonight are in the crowd. They want to watch this match because this is two of their favorites. Hell yeah. And it also means that they didn't sell very many first front row tickets because they gave it all to their wrestlers. I want to see you. Yeah, I would too. I would want to see this match. Flair struts in front of Arn to start the match. How dare you? A drop toe hold and Arn mimics Flair's woo. It was weird seeing Arn Anderson try a woo, but he did it. Arn smacks Rick right out of his boots to a huge reaction from this horseman territory crowd here in uh, North Carolina, Asheville. The old ladies at ringside hassle Flair as he goes outside to regroup. Arn then attacks the arm of Flair. That's going to be his strategy. The old Arn Anderson strategy. Take a body part. Take a body it. part, pick it, and go for it. He beats Flair's arm with stomps and smacks Flair down as soon as he stands up. Arn gets the better of Flair in some mat wrestling exchanges and then goes back to stomping the arm. The announcers do a great job. As much shit as Tony Schiavone gets, he did a great job on this match as far as telling the story of Rick Flair and Arn Anderson. And he was around for most of it, so he would know best. Arn hits a knee to the back of Ric Flair from the second turnbuckle. Ouch. Then he follows it up with a scoop slam. Arn goes right back to a hammerlock on Flair. Flair tries to chop his way out of it, but gets sent right back to the ground. And Arn smacks Flair's injured arm into the turnbuckle a few times. A few times. After a big chop, Arn lands some big lefts on Flair, and then Arn gets thrown outside. Flair lands an axe handle smash from the top turnbuckle to Arn on the ring match. That was impressive. Yeah, because he never lands those. No. Flair tries a few dirty pins with his foot on the top rope. He didn't get enough leverage, though, Patrick. He didn't get enough leverage because Arn can kick out at two. Randy Anderson stops Arn from using a closed fist. Gotta watch those fists, buddy. And Ric Flair low blows Arn, the dirtiest player in the game. Arn and Flair battle outside the ring, and Arn back body drops Flair onto the ring mats. So Flair responds with a vertical suplex on the ring mats. They both get in the ring, and Flair hits another suplex for a two count. Flair gets caught in the tree of woe 
and Arn kicks him and chokes him as he's upside down. Arn calls for the DDT, but Flair, he scouted this move. He knows this man pretty well. And so when Arn goes for the DDT, Flair simply holds on to the ropes, and that's how you counter the DDT. He saves himself. Arn slams Flair off the top turnbuckle, as what typically happens to Ric Flair. Right. Flair then counters an axe handle smash with a clothesline, and then locks Arn in the figure four. Uh oh. Arn hulks up in the figure four. He and- does, and he powers over to roll onto his left side and finally reverses the pressure. And as soon as he does, Rick goes ahead and breaks it. Then Flair chop blocks Arn's leg and goes for the figure four again. But Arn inside cradles him, but only gets two, unlike Sting, who always wins with this move, apparently. Then Flair throws some closed fists at Arn, and Flying Brian shows up out of nowhere. He interferes, kicks Flair in the back of the head, and Arn DDTs him very violently and wins the match. The dirtiest player in the game was outdone. He was outdone by his own best friend. Yeah. He was outdirtied by his own best friend. Yeah. And Arn Anderson gets a huge win. I'd say he beat Hogan on Nitro one time with some interference. I'd say this is actually the biggest win in Arn Anderson's career. I was actually, I gave you shit about this pay-per-view. I was glad you picked this because this match really is a key element. Oh, this is fantastic. It's very unfortunate, though, because this match was built to go. This was the first of the feud. This was the opening match. And it never went anywhere. Because next month at Halloween Havoc, Flair would tag with Sting, who trusted Ric Flair again. And then Flair would just turn on Sting and reform the Four Horsemen with Pillman and Arn. So, sadly, it didn't go anywhere because I thought this was a great opening match between the two. Like, I know Arn won it, but he, he didn't win it. He was the face going into the match, I guess, right? And he didn't win it. He won it in a heel way. I mean, they both, right. I guess, were technically heels. I mean, really, if you think about the history of Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. But I wanted to see more of this match. Like, I wanted to see where it went. Like, I would have loved to have seen it if Arn beat him cleanly, honestly. Like, I thought that would have been... Yeah, this was a, a absolute... It was a great match. Well, it did one thing that WCW didn't do well, which was tell stories. Uh, Like, their promo package, like, usually you get those, like, music videos that don't tell you anything about Oh, you're about about to see one here in a minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you actually know something about this this matchup, and you can tell, like, there's a story being told. Like, it was just one of the better jobs of storytelling that WCW ever did, and it's a shame that we didn't get more of it, that this was just sort of a one-off. Yeah. No, I liked it. I, I liked it a lot. Like, I love this match. This yeah. was this is match of the night. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, this is this is match the only match I would recommend watching. This is match of the year. <laughs> in my opinion, this was a great match in WCW. Yes, like I mean, in the ring, Arn is probably one of the best. I mean, it's yeah. all the other parts of being a pro wrestler that Arn Anderson just isn't known for. And I mean, but in the ring, he is just so solid. Like, there's yeah. no. He's a machine, man. He is a he's a tank. He can go, and he can carry a match. That's the reason he started every war games he was a part of, and just the psychology of what he does, like what the moves that he does, yeah. the the pacing, everything is just so perfect when he's in the ring. And I almost wish that Ric Flair had resorted to dirtier tricks in the match. I mean, I know that he low blowed Arn that one time, but like, yeah. 
I wish that Rick had almost broke out some, like, knucks or, like, had really, really, like, felt like he underestimated Arn and needed to do anything to win. And, I mean, I know that he used like the ropes. Like, eye pokes and stuff. Yeah, just know? anything. Yeah. Even a chair. Like, yeah. even if he had to. Like, because he realizes, like, you know, I, I, I've been the leader of the Horsemen for this many years, but also in the promo piece, like, they showed David Flair and Reed and Ashley Flair, like, yeah. it was an early spotting of the Flair family being brought into a storyline, which yeah. which would become a major part of WCW later on, but it's really the only, like I said, it's the only thing from this pay-per-view that I would definitely suggest going back and watching. Yeah, it's, uh, enough cannot be said for this match, really. We go from the highest of highs in this pay-per-view to the lowest of lows with a promo package. Oh yes, of course. This is it's time for the Dungeon of Doom. We see the Taskmaster. Hogan, I told you life would not be easy. That was creepy how perfect and spot on that really was. You realize you are going into the most dangerous match of all times. War games, two steel cages. The Dungeon of Doom against the Hulkamaniacs. I told you life would not be easy. <laughs> You're the one that created me. You and I can't coexist. And this planet. Ha ha! I can feel evil in cage! You locked in with the section of dudes! Kamala, Ming. All eight of us at the same time. <laughs> the scarf on your head will start to smoke and boil. Soon your hearing will go. The master himself will drive the wagons with all the Hulkamania carcasses laying on it. The Dungeon of Doom brought you these poses, but they expired. We love you not. We actually hate your guts. <laughs> and we hate you! <laughs> you know what's gonna happen to the mortal Hulk Hogan? <laughs> You're gonna get buried! You're gonna get buried. My heart goes out to you! <laughs> At the end of July, right after, of course, uh, the Bash of the Beach telecast, Hulk Hogan declared war on the Dungeon of Doom. It has come to this. But the Dungeon of Doom got the first shot in when the Giant, with a monster truck earlier in the evening, crushed Hulk Hogan's pride and joy, the Harley Davidson given to him by the fans. The, would you like to interrupt me again? The Harley Davidson given to him by the fans from Orange County, Harley Davidson. You paid a lot of attention to that. Well, it's... Uh this Dungeon of Doom thing. I mean, we've already reviewed Uncensored 96. That's how long this goes on for. It's oh, like, yeah. Dungeon th of Doom went This was still going on years. from, yeah, this was still going on from, like, 94. So after Hogan gets to, to WCW, they immediately go to the match with Flair. Because that's the match that everyone wanted to see. So they went ahead and went to it. Then after it, it's like, what do we do with Hulk Hogan? Well, naturally, 
Uh, there's a guy on the staff named Kevin Sullivan who is a big Hulk maniac. And he realized, with his pull in the booking committee, I can make the most money if I keep booking myself in a main event with Hulk Hogan. That's brilliant. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. If I was in the position, I would do the same thing. Yeah, I'd say, I'll lose to Hulk Hogan every week. Because you'll pay me a lot more to lose to him than to lose to, I don't know, Disco Inferno. So Kevin Sullivan gets his own stable. And they all get to lose to Hulk Hogan, too. And so that's what this match is basically doing. Is I kind of like the stable. Yeah, I, We could have done without Shark and Zodiac. I like Shark. He's my favorite one of this group. Really? I think Kamala's one of the weak links. Oh, no. See, I love Kamala. And originally, Vader was a part of this group. Yeah. But he, he went AWOL. He, he went all well. He was gonna join up with. He was. He He's joined the Hulkamaniac. Yeah, he left. He went AWOL. Eric Bischoff cut a huge promo on him on Nitro. Oh, Vader, he's a coward. He took his money and ran. He tucked his tail and ran. Yeah. So Vader. At the same time, this is when he was. He his he had gotten pulled over to WWE. Well, it was. He went to Japan for a minute in between. But yeah, he would end up in WWE the next year. He would not show back up on WCW. No, this was yeah, he was gone. Yeah, forever. Probably because he knew how this booking was going to go, and he thought, well, my, I can be a huge star in Japan. I can't. My time is up here. Yeah, Hogan's here now. No, see, I think Kamala's the strongest of the of the bunch. Mean Gene is with Hogan's war team, the Hulkamaniacs. Hogan says they just drank Agent Orange, so they're impervious to pain. Or. They're dead, because if you drank Agent Orange, which was a pesticide used in the Vietnam War, you would not be alive. Uh, You would be dead. Hogan gets the last word, as usual. The Macho Man said, DTA, don't trust anybody. So, Stone Cold Steve Austin ripped off the Macho Man, basically. Jimmy Hart throws in... A lot of people ripped off the Macho Man. (laughs) Jimmy Hart throws in that they were all born in the USA. Hogan says they'll use Jimmy Hart as bait. Hogan tells Jimmy Hart, we're basically going to sacrifice you. And Jimmy Hart's like, okay. Bobby or Tony says, oh no, Mean Gene says, pull up your socks and get ready. Oh boy. The cage is lowered from the ceiling. Mean Gene has a slideshow of the rules. Then Michael Buffer explains that if Hogan's squad wins, he gets Kevin Sullivan alone five minutes to himself. So that is what's on the line here. Five minutes with Kevin Sullivan. That's all that's on the line. Not the world title or the U.S. title, which Sting has the U.S. title and Hogan has the world title, but five minutes with Kevin Sullivan. The Dungeon of Doom is the Zodiac, a.k.a. Ed Leslie, a.k.a. Brutus the Barber Beefcake, a.k.a. The Disciple, a.k.a. The Booty Man, a.k.a. Ditsy Hogan. Oh, when he first got brought into WCW instead of the barber he was the clip master zodiac kamala i called him umaga for some reason kamala shark john tenta aka earthquake and ming and ming who's in sting face paint for some reason it's never explained why he always wore when he was in dungeon name he wore face paint oh i thought maybe because his name is ming he was like i'm sort of like sting so i'll use sting's face paint the faces come out next the hulkamaniacs Everybody comes out to the War Games song, so no one gets an entrance. Hogan and Sting, they didn't bother bringing their belts. They don't no. care. We're sitting about belts, brother. Sting will st- Sting will start out against the shark, John Tenta. Sting does his annual leap from one ring to another to clothesline the shark. 
Scoop slams Shark, tries it again, and Shark does it instead to Sting, and tries for a pinfall, which Shark didn't realize does not count in the war games. He not didn't, at all. He didn't listen to the rules. A bear hug to Sting for ages from the Shark. Then Shark tries the Sting leap between the rings and gets caught on the ropes, so Sting kicks him in his big gut, his shark mouth on his suit. Shark shows off the guns and then gets crotched on the top rope. A 30-second timer appears for the next combatant. Sting puts Shark in the Scorpion Deathlock. The Dungeon of Doom, of course, wins the coin toss. The heels always won the coin, coin toss in war games. Yeah, I, I, I think there's something fishy about that. It's, it's not on the level. I can't put my finger on it. So Sting grabs the top of the cage and kicks Zodiac, who is the next entrant. He posts Zodiac in the Scorpion Deathlock. Zodiac famous for saying... What two things did Zodiac say, Patrick? You don't, you don't know what Zodiac said? He no. said, yes and no. That's all Zodiac could say. Ed Leslie. Really? Yes, no. So then Zodiac and Shark continue to get the heat on Sting when we wait for the next member of Hulk's team to come in. The two minutes is up with no counter this time. The bell rings and Randy Savage storms the ring. He gives a Boston Crab to Zodiac, and then the dungeon grabs Sting's arm through the cage, through the bottom of the cage, so Zodiac and Shark get the upper hand on Macho Man. Kamala and Ming then snatch Macho Man's leg under the fence and then start kicking it. Kamala is in next. Macho Man does some corner punches to Zodiac. Macho Man gets an atomic drop from the Shark. The dungeon is three on two and keeps Sting and Macho Man grounded. Luger is in next... Lex Luger, who just premiered on Nitro a few weeks, one or two weeks before, yes, said he wanted a world title shot, but Vader took off, so he needed a new Hulkamaniac, so all of a sudden Luger is on Hulk's team here. He goes after the two big men, Shark and Kamala, double clotheslines them. Luger and Macho square off on Zodiac, and then Shark is paired off with Sting. They sort of just punch and kick until the next entrant gets in there. Luger accidentally hits Macho Man. Uh-oh. And then Hulk Hogan comes in. Luger and Macho Man brawl amongst themselves, so Sting has to hold Luger back, and Macho is held back by Hogan. So there you go. We have some dissension within the Hulkamaniacs. Kamala chokes Luger with a piece of cloth, and Ming joins in with a choke as well. Ming hits a big super kick that Luger no-sells and just stands up from. Hulk Hogan is the last entrant. He has Freedom Powder in a cage match. Yeah. What a dirty heel. That dirty heel. That I told you that Hogan couldn't be trusted. He comes... Yeah, that's exactly what Bobby the Brain Heenan says. He says this is a cheap, dirty move. And that's it right. is. Right. Why does Hogan need to fight dirty like yeah. this? He blinds Ming and Zodiac and Kamala. Macho Man throws more Freedom Powder in Kamala's face. Hogan punches Shark, Zodiac, and then backrakes Zodiac. Ow. Hogan throws Zodiac to a fence and then puts Zodiac in the Steiner Recliner, or the Cobra Clutch, and Zodiac... Gives up. He's up. He, Bitch. He screams bloody murder and quits. Because Hogan is known as a submission specialist. I believe it. Yeah, because this is the only time he ever won a match with a submission. Taskmaster sees this and is like, I gotta get out of here. He's gotta go, man. But... Just like at Halloween Havoc 98, the biggest face on the show, Doug Dillinger steps in and stops Taskmaster from leaving. So Sting runs out of the cage and goes and gets Taskmaster and brings him back. 
And while he's bringing him back, the rest of the Dungeon of Doom simply just walk by as their leader is being dragged to his demise in the cage. Yeah. Hogan then gets five minutes with the Taskmaster all by himself. The rest of the Hulkamaniacs leave, too. They don't care. They don't care. Who cares what happens? Yeah. Meanwhile, uh-oh, the giant, the son of Andre, comes to the ring. Paul White, he gently moves Pee Wee Anderson out of the way and goes <laughs> into the ring by jumping over the ropes like a luchador. Then he grabs Hogan by the throat before he punches him. And then, uh-oh. He grabs him, and he puts his arms around his head and his other arm around his neck. And he just twists it really hard and breaks the neck <laughs> of Kills Hulk Hogan. Kills Hulk Hogan right there. Kills him on the spot. At least paralyzes him right yeah. there. We need ambulance. We need. I need medical attention to ringside immediately, please. So then the Hulkamaniacs run in, and Giant, he just walks out. Yeah. And then that's how we end. And Bobby the Brain Heenan is thrilled with this ending, that Hogan got his comeuppance, which is my favorite part, I think, we see, of this whole match. We see the lasting image of Hogan with a broken neck laying down on the mat, never to be seen or heard no, from again. No, this was his retirement this match. This is it. He's done. He's can't walk. He's, you know, he, we're lucky if he even lives. Through. Yeah, it's true. It's... Oh. It's really terrible. It's well, horrible. They saved all the violence for the last spot. Yeah. Uh, this was a terrible uh, War Games match. It was basically everybody get in the ring, punch and kick until Hogan can get in there. And let Hogan throw Do everything. baby powder and that's it. Everything for Hogan. It's so nice. Like, looking back on it, it's nice. It's It's just very fortunate that Hogan had Sting, that Sting just stepped aside. Gave up his spot. That is true. In WCW. If I was in Sting's shoes, I'd been like, hell no, I've been here from the beginning. Say, I don't want anything to do with that guy. Put that put that asshole behind me, you know? Yeah, make him work to have a match with me. Yeah. It took till Starcade 97, and then Hogan was a heel. Like, yeah. I think a face-face match between Surfer Sting and Hogan would have done just as well as Flair and Hogan. I agree. No, can't have that. Everyone's got to be my friend, brother. True, brother. If you ain't with me, you're against me, brother. That's right, brother. And then you had Macho Man. He's totally wasted. I mean, the second biggest name in pro wrestling up until that point, like, just to be Hogan's lackey. You just brought in Lex Luger. You scored this major, like, upset. You made this big deal on Nitro. He's just Hogan's bitch, too. Everyone's just Hogan's bitch. Everyone in the Dungeon of Doom, oh, they're just there to get punched. It's just one of those weird things, man. They they don't care about anybody but Hogan. So <laughs> yeah, so uh, Fall Brawl '95. Check out Arn and Ric Flair. Yeah, one of their few singles matches together. I'm sure very few. And uh, that's it. That's it. It's done. So with Finito, like Sorry. Hogan, like Hogan's career, it's down the toilet. Yeah, it's over. After Fall Brawl 95, he was never heard from, seen again. Yeah. Just like Cobra. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was, yeah, he was seen again as, well, his. I believe his real name is Jeff Farmer. He's not the Jeff Farmer famous from this promo in the 70s where he says, yep, he's some other Jeff Farmer, but he would be NWO Sting. 
Yeah, this was a really bad show, but the good thing is it was only six matches, and uh, even though it still took two hours and 40 minutes, it was only six matches, so it was easy to skip past what you didn't like, and uh, what I didn't like was a lot, so in fact, I'm not even going to say how much I didn't like everything, except I really liked Flair and Arn, and that was pretty much it. The rest of it, it's sad to see how far war, war Games fell. If I brought in someone like Hulk Hogan, I probably wouldn't have put him in a War Games match. This guy's just not a War Games I wouldn't combat. have put Hogan in War Games. I would have probably just retired it until I found some people that could be in it, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a bad thing all the way around. I don't know. It's everything to serve Hogan, man. Everything. So on our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, Fall Brawl 1995 War Games... From Asheville, North Carolina, where do you rank this one? I'm giving it a Mark Merrow career. See, you think Mark Merrow sucks, so someone that likes Mark Merrow thinks that's pretty high praise. I'm gonna give it a uh, I'm gonna give it a Sister Sherry. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah that's probably too high a praise. I, sh- really... I should have went with Robert, uh, the uh, Colonel Rob Parker then. Oh, that's weird. Our ratings are making out in the middle of the ring. Well, Patrick, that was my pick because uh, War Games is coming up. What is your pick? You've already spoiled it. It's Survivor spoil it. Series. It's Survivor Series. We're actually going to go to Madison Square Garden. We're going to go to the return of Brett the Hitman Hart taking on that dirty, rotten scoundrel, Stone Cold Steve Austin. We're going to see the heartbreak kid Shawn Michaels defend his coveted World Wrestling Federation title. Sid Vicious. Against Sid Vicious. We are going to see Mankind and The Undertaker. Oh, wow. Before their Hell in a Cell matchup. We are going to see The Executioner make his WWF in-ring debut. (laughs) Oh, boy. We are going to see Survivor Series 1996. Well, just from the Bret Hart and Stone Cold match, I can already tell you this is a good Survivor Series card just based on that. Yeah. Uh, It's going to be much better than Survivor Series 2017. I can already tell you that. It hasn't even happened. I went to the highest of highs because we've had a few lows in the past few shows. Yeah, well, staying in WCW, it tends to be that way. It's hard to find a lot of... uh, Gold, yeah, in WCW's. Uh, I went to the highest of highs on this. So, all right, Survivor Series 1996. That'll do it for this week. Where can they find you on the internet, Patrick? Uh, Patrick or Patrick, Patrick Young or Patrick Young Wrestling on Facebook. You can always uh, hit us up at Retro Wrestling Podcast on Facebook. Uh, I'm sure we can, if I see it, I'll send you a link to my page. If Alex sees it, he'll send you a link to my page. You can always contact Alex on there as well. Uh, you get to the you you get to answering the fans a lot quicker than I do as it pertains to that because I'm keeping up my page and trying to keep up with other stuff as well. And so I don't get on our page as much as you do. You're on there every single day. So well, I look every single day on the Facebook page. I'm I'm more be- I'm I'm better about the Twitter page at Retro W Podcast. That's where you can really find me. And uh, that'll do it for this week, Patrick. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Hey, saying as always. <laughs> My closing line's a clothesline. Is it? It is. Okay, bingo, bingo.